0: Me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 15, in your Pew Bible, page 1004. Continuing our study in this wonderful book that's really an exposition of the Old Testament, showing us the blessing of Christ fulfilling it all. We looked at the beginning of chapter 7 last week. We come to chapter 7, verse 15, picking up this theme of Jesus fulfilling the priesthood of Melchizedek, here God's holy word. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, speaking of Christ, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting indeed that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Hebrews 7 is one of the great chapters in the Bible. For here we have set forth an amazing picture of the permanent and superior priesthood of Jesus Christ. Last week we saw in the first half of the chapter that Jesus' priesthood is of a whole different order than the priesthood of the Old Testament period. That priesthood under the Mosaic law was a shadow, we might say, of the reality that came in Jesus Christ. Much of this chapter is actually an exposition of Psalm 110, verse 4, where David, the king, writes, this is later than the giving of the Mosaic law, but he writes in that psalm what's Quoted here, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, so God makes this oath to uphold his word. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And David is there prophesying about God's appointment of Jesus Christ as the ultimate high priest. Melchizedek is only mentioned elsewhere other than here in Hebrews and in Psalm 110. He's only mentioned in Genesis chapter 14 where we find Melchizedek, this figure that we don't know anything about. We don't know anything about his birth or his ancestry or his death. We find him meeting Abraham after this battle that Abraham has with the kings and blessing Abraham and actually receiving tithes from Abraham and we saw about that last week how Melchizedek represents a superior order of priesthood compared to the Levitical priesthood that through the descent of Levi and ultimately back from Abraham and that has all been fulfilled now in Jesus Christ Jesus is the ultimate priest of the order of Melchizedek, the much better priest. And so, here in our text, we are encouraged to draw near to God through Jesus. As Protestants, we aren't that familiar with priests. We read about the Old Testament priests, and we can imagine their work and what they did, but priests aren't typically part of our regular experience Last year when Billy Graham died at the age of 99, I thought Billy Graham was probably the closest thing to a Protestant priest for presidents, if you would put it that way. You might know the interesting fact that Billy Graham met with and prayed for every president from Harry Truman to President Obama. Of course, he did know Donald Trump too, but he was not able to meet with him during his presidency. I remember the reports of President Obama traveling to North Carolina to visit Billy Graham there in his home. And the reports were that Billy Graham gave President Obama a Bible for President Obama and one for his wife, and he prayed for President Obama. I would think that would be a memorable occasion for any president to have Billy Graham pray for you. But we all know that Billy Graham was a preacher and not a priest, but even more importantly concerning the subject we're looking at, Billy Graham was just a man, just like the priests of the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, men who were sinners just like us and who eventually died just like us. Jesus is very different. His priesthood is a much better priesthood. And this morning we want to look at our text and see three reasons why Jesus' priesthood was so much better and is so much better. First, we'll see that it's based on the power of his indestructible life, second, it fully accomplishes our salvation. And thirdly, it is entirely suitable for our predicament. So first of all, Jesus' priesthood is better because it is based on the power of his indestructible life in verses 15 through 22. Look at verse 15. This becomes even more evident. What is this? He's talking about the Levitical priesthood being all descendants of of Abraham and Levi. And he's talking about Jesus being descended from the tribe of Judah in his earthly nature. And he says this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek. So Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek, not Levi. He wasn't descended from Levi. And then verse 16, who who has become a priest? Jesus has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, in terms of his ancestry, but by the power of an indestructible life. The logic stated that the Levitical priesthood was not perfect, it was incomplete, it was temporary, it was anticipating the fulfillment that was to come, it served to foreshadow the reality which is Jesus Christ. And it was based, we're told here, on a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. And that's why in verse 18 when it talks about the former commandment is set aside it's not talking about the moral law, it's talking about the legal requirements involving priesthood and sacrifice. The the Levitical priesthood was a temporary way to draw near to God, to God. But now in Christ, that priesthood has been fulfilled by something much better. And the basis of Jesus' priesthood is the power of his indestructible life. In other words, he is both God and man. As the God-man, he is able to fully identify with us in our humanity, and so he was able to to offer himself up and die on the cross for our sins. And yet, as God and man, he had this power of an indestructible life, And so he rose victoriously from the dead as our Savior, and now he lives for his people and applies his mighty work of redemption. He ever lives to intercede for us, to pray for us, so that he is able to continuously empower us with the very life of God by the Holy Spirit, whom he pours out upon us. What a difference this is to have such a high priest who serves by the power of an indestructible life. So in regeneration, Jesus gives us new life and enables us to initially receive salvation through a living faith in Christ. But then, in the rest of our Christian experience, Jesus Christ, our high priest, enables us with his power to press on in the faith. There is power from Jesus' priesthood and his ministry. And then verse 18 further describes this contrast. He says, "For the, On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness. For the law made nothing perfect. Again, not the Ten Commandments, but the ceremonial law. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. He's speaking of the temporary nature of the sacrificial system and the priesthood of that day. And he's saying that that ministry was weak and useless compared to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Yes, it was a ministry of grace. It was ordained by God. It had a purpose for God, from God, for the time being. But Jesus' priesthood is the priesthood that has the true power to cleanse us from our sins, to give us new life, to change people from within. What a different type of priesthood this is. And then in verses 20 to 22, the author explains that Jesus was appointed by the Father by an oath. In chapter 6, we saw that God confirmed to Abraham his promise, his word, by an oath, And here the same thing is brought out, that God the Father appointed Jesus to be our mediator, our priest, by an oath. It says that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. That wasn't the way it worked for the Old Testament priests. They weren't appointed by an oath from God. They simply had to have the right ancestry. If you were descended from Levi, then you were of the priestly family. Jesus' priesthood was very different. He was appointed by this oath. It underlines the power and the permanency of Jesus' priesthood. Jesus' priesthood is better because it was based on the power of an indestructible life. The other day, Patty and I went out to the Department of Motor Vehicles on Route 30, uh, to get our real ID. Maybe some of you have been reading about the real ID in the newspapers recently. Um, that, that real ID is something that was established by federal law in 2005, but it's slowly being put into place. But by October of 2020, that's next year, it's going to be enforced. You need a real ID for certain things like taking a domestic airplane flight. You can't just show your good old driver's license. Your driver's license has to be a real ID. I didn't realize that you could have just a regular driver's license and a real ID driver's license. But we thought, well, we better get one of those. You can also take your passport if you want to do that. But if 2020 October comes around and you show up for your flight and you flash your good old driver's license, you'll be probably told something like, sorry, you're out of luck. You can't get on the plane. And you might object and you might say, wait, my old driver's license has been good all these years. What's wrong? Well, it's like what the author of Hebrews is saying here. There's a new administration of the law. The law has changed. That was temporary. Now there's this new way. You need a real ID. And by the way, to get that, you need your birth certificate. If you change your name, you need a marriage license And that needs to have a raised seal on it. You need bills that show where you lived, you know, uh, confirm your address. You might as well bring your file cabinet with you and just bring it all with you because you need all this stuff. But you'll be glad you did because that real ID has power. If you want, afterwards I'll show you mine. It even has a gold star on it. So I feel really good about that. But do you see the point? The new covenant in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. It's the real thing. It's the reality. The old is made obsolete, as good as the old was, and as ordained by God as it was. Drawing near to God through faith in Jesus Christ is all that will count eternally. He's the only way. He's the only priest with true power to save because of the power of his indestructible life. But secondly, why is Jesus' priesthood better? It fully accomplishes our salvation. Verses 23 to 25, really wonderful. Verses that describe the power of Jesus' priesthood. It says there in verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And then there's this wonderful statement in verse 25. Consequently, he, Christ, is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. These former priests were only humans. They were sinners, just like everyone else. They were subject to death. But Jesus is a permanent high priest. And notice how that that consequently, which looks back to the word and the verse before it. Verse 25, consequently, why is that? Well, the phrase before is because he continues forever. It points because Jesus is an eternal priest. And also the next verse underlines that. The end of verse 25, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The author is underlining that. Our assurance of our complete salvation is fully secured by the indestructible, everlasting life of Jesus Christ. The ESV has this phrase that it takes from the authorized version, the King James, to the uttermost. I love that phrase. The NIV has a a good translation. It says he is able to save completely, and both are accurate. The word in the original is actually somewhat ambiguous that it can mean both forever, for all time, and it can also mean infallibly Fully, completely, effectively. There's two senses of the word and many scholars think that the word in this case encompasses both. The point is Jesus by his ongoing high priestly ministry makes our salvation secure in every way without fail. How does he do this? Because he ever lives to make intercession for us. For every child of God, Jesus is always holding them before his father's throne, praying for their ever, every need by the virtue of his person and work. He's continuing to supply them with every resource needful for their perseverance in faith. What a wonderful truth this is! Think of Peter the night Jesus was betrayed. Do you, do you remember what Peter what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter? 22, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has has asked to sift you as wheat. There was going to be this temptation. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. What is it that kept Peter's faith from failing fully that evening and becoming as Judas? It was that Jesus was praying for him. That upheld Peter and kept him from falling fully and finally. Or think of 1 John 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He speaks to the Father in our defense. The Apostle John is here pointing to Jesus and his continuing work of interceding for us before the Father's throne. Jesus is our advocate, we would say, although we must never think of the Father as hostile to us. The Father loves us as well. The Father is the one who appointed the Son to this mediatorial task. Rather, the Father delights to hear and answer the Son as he intercedes for us. If the police come to your house and arrest you for some terrible crime and cart you off and put you in a cell somewhere, you know what you need. You need your one phone call that you're apparently allowed to make. You need an advocate. You need the best lawyer in town, right? And even if you know you haven't done anything wrong, you need an advocate to argue your case before the judge, The dire disaster of all of us before the judge of the universe is that we are guilty. Our only advocate is Jesus Christ, the priest, and also the sacrifice and the one who intercedes for us. We need to take to heart the wonder of Jesus' present, ongoing, continuous, high priestly ministry of intercession for every child of God. This is a a truth that ought to encourage us in the face of all of our foolishness and sin, in the face of all of our temptation and suffering. It is not as if Jesus saves us by his grace and then shuffles us off and says, now just manage the rest of your Christian life on your own. No, he continues his high priestly work. Yes, the sacrifice is once and for all, but now he ever lives to intercede for us, to strengthen us and bless us by his mighty intercession. That truth should serve to increase our daily faith in Christ Christ in his active work in our lives. Yes, we often stumble and fall, but our great Savior is able to save us to the uttermost. Well, that brings us to our third point. Why is Jesus' priesthood better? It is entirely suitable for our predicament. Verses 26 to 28. These verses are like a a final crescendo of a great song Of the entire chapter, summarizing and summing up all that's been said. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. And then there are these five descriptive words holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The text is telling us that Jesus is a high priest who is exactly suited to our predicament, to our need. Can you imagine? In that Old Testament period, what it would have been like to have a mere human represent you before God? A fellow sinner represent you before God. In the Old Testament, we find that some of the priests were very good in a relative sense. They were sinners still, but they were good. They were godly men. And then there were others who were ungodly priests, very poor priests. We think of Eli's sons who were scandalous in what they did with their priesthood. It was the talk of the town, and Eli, we know, didn't do anything about it. They were poor priests. It's interesting that in Exodus 39, there's instruction there that little bells be sewn into the hem of the priest's clothes. Isn't that an interesting fact? Why was this? It doesn't explain why, but one reason may be so that the people outside of the Tabernacle could hear the bells ringing, and so they knew that the the priest hadn't been struck dead because of his sin. He was a mere sinner, just like everyone else. He had to offer sacrifices daily for his own sin as well as the people's sins. In fact, later on during the temple period, it became common that on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies once a year would tie a rope around his ankle in case he died there so they could pull him out. He was just a mere man. We are sinners, but Christ has identified with us by becoming human yet without sin. We're told that he's holy. Probably that's pertaining to to God. He's innocent. Maybe that's pertaining to other people. And he is unstained. That's possibly a reference for his his character, his purity of heart and inner being. He is separate from sinners, yet he is a human being, the God-man. And he is exalted above the heavens. He is higher than any heavenly being, any angel or cherubim. He is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. What amazing description. What a, a perfectly suitable and fitting high priest we have. I watched a video footage of rescuers trying to save a couple stranded in one of those Midwestern floods. And here was a 67-year-old woman and a 72-year-old man standing in the bed of their pickup truck with water up to their chest flowing over the truck, hundreds of yards in all directions, amazing that they weren't already swept away, and a helicopter coming trying, trying to rescue them. And what finally happens is that one of the helicopter crew, probably against regulations, gets down on the leg rail of the helicopter, and is able to encourage and help the woman to climb up on that leg rail and then into the helicopter, and then eventually get the husband as well. An amazing rescue. But what an illustration. The couple needed a human being on that leg rail, right close to them, right near them, to rescue them from that terrible flood. Jesus is such a rescuer for those who trust in him. Have you noticed the repeated, the repeated phrase in our text? It's in verse 19 and verse 25, through which we draw near to God. Those who draw near to God through him, through Christ. The question we must ask ourselves is this, have I drawn near to God through this perfectly suited high priest. It would be a great thing to have Billy Graham pray for you. Maybe some of you have met Billy Graham, and maybe he's prayed for you. But there is one who is far better, one to whom Billy Graham always pointed, and that's Jesus Christ, the only one who can make any of us acceptable to God through Jesus Christ Christ. And Jesus has offered himself on the cross and has been raised victoriously and is now exalted on high. And he graciously invites any and all who will come to him through faith in his shed blood. You know, the familiar invitation of the gospel that says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest, from the harsh taskmaster of sin and the penalty that is due to us. That's the call of the gospel. That's the promise of God for all who will trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray that today, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, the only high priest who can let you draw near to God, that you will seek him today and call upon his name. But if you have already trusted in Jesus Christ, which is probably for most of us, you might note that one of the themes of the book of Hebrews that we're seeing here again is that theme of drawing near to God, the theme of access to God. It was in chapter 4. It'll be in chapters 10, 11, and 12. Christians, by definition, are those who draw near to God through Jesus Christ. They've drawn near initially in conversion, in regeneration, by being saved. They've been brought into fellowship with God. But we're to walk in that closeness with God, drawing near to God daily. There is nothing more fundamental about our life in Christ than the great privilege of drawing near to God. There is nothing more important in your life and in my life than drawing near to God, living close to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus has already brought us to God once and for all. He is interceding for us to make that a reality in our experience more and more. But let us never cease striving by faith in Christ, by devotion to Jesus, by worship, by loving him, by obeying him, by the word of God and prayer, by the encouragement of the body of Christ to walk near to our God, Daily, there's nothing more important in your life or in mine. The world and all its distractions tempt us and call to us. But may our abiding desire be to live drawing near to God. Do not forget that your Savior is forever holding you in prayer before the Father's throne and what he has begun within us. He promises he will complete. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for such a priest. Thank you for such a wonderful savior. We stand amazed and in awe at what you have done, working over thousands of years to bring about your purposes that they would all be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, all to call a people to yourself, to draw near to you, to have fellowship with you eternally and forever in heaven. Lord, we glory in Jesus Christ. We, We seek to draw near. We pray that you would stir us up to seek the Lord. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who doesn't know you, may you work in their life to bring them to saving faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.